Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's Anthony Pagnotta with you guys as always. Zach Hubbard joining me tonight. Uh, we are going to be going through sort of a recruiting update. We'll be answering uh, some true-false questions, and we'll also uh, give you a couple other tidbits on the recruiting trail uh, before we get out of here with the 40-yard dash, which does return. But before we get into that, I did want to say uh, we uh, want to say rest in peace to two big-time Tar Heel fans, two guys that uh, were very, very supportive of uh, everything that we did here at the Heel Tough blog of the Heel Tough blog podcast as well. Um, you know, guys that uh, ran some of the bigger groups and were involved in some of the bigger groups on Facebook as well, which is where we get a lot of our readers from, which is where we get a lot of our listeners from. Uh, Mike, uh, many of you guys probably know him, Mr. Toriel Eagle. Uh, he passed away uh, earlier today uh, is what the belief is. Um, so uh, unfortunately, I uh, hate to say uh, that he is gone. And same thing uh, with John Toriel. Heel Lee, as you guys might remember him, John Lee, uh, he was another guy that was uh, big, uh, you know, a guy that uh, I was friends with on social media. Uh, same thing with Mike Eagle, uh, both guys, um, you know, people that just did a great job of spreading, you know, the Tar Heel joy and family uh, mantra that we all have throughout the Tar Heel community in all of those Facebook groups. So uh, we want to send our condolences to both of their families during this difficult time. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely hard whenever you lose members of the Torio family. Even though we don't know these people in person, uh, you know, unfortunately, I was never able to meet either of these people in person. Uh, it's definitely a very tight-knit community, so uh, we uh, wanted to make sure that we uh, started the podcast by uh, mentioning that. Um, but we'll get into it. Opening drive, uh, that also makes its return here tonight, and we'll start by uh, talking about Trevion Green, who just committed to the Tar Heels earlier today. Uh, this is a name that probably a lot of Toriel fans don't remember. He was offered way back in July of 2019. At that time, he was still a part of the tar, uh, of the 2021 class. So he was offered as a 2021 prospect. He has since reclassified. Uh, there are many reasons behind that, which we'll talk about here as we sort of get into it. But he is now a part of the 2022 class. And Zach, uh, you know, again... The Tariels go into the state of Virginia to get another commitment in the 2022 class. Now three commitments in the class, all three of them from the state of Virginia. And that was one of the big things that we talked about on this podcast heading into this year, this cycle, that the Tariels had to be able to go into the state of Virginia. You didn't have to you know, end up winning the state or locking down the state, anything like that, but you needed to be able to make some really good headway in the state. And boy, the Tar Heels are doing more than just that out of the gate so far. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like we've mentioned, as compared to the um, in-state North Carolina recruiting class of 2021-2022, is not quite as deep, not quite as many high-caliber uh, blue chip four and five star or top 500, whatever metric you want to use there, doesn't have as many of those guys for North Carolina to choose from. So they will have to go to some of their, um, you know, out of state areas, including the state of Virginia, where you know that been a big one um, for North Carolina throughout the years, specifically under Matt Brown and under the second Matt Brown tenure has been huge. And like you mentioned, um, the first three commits in the 2022 class are there from Virginia. So obviously North Carolina is already making a very, very big impact there and will continue to do stuff. Still quite a number of guys within Virginia, specifically that Tidewater area along the coast that will be very, uh, very tightly contested recruitments, but ones that North Carolina uh, should be a big factor in. Now, moving on to Green in particular, uh, you look sort of at his high school there in life. Christian Academy in Colonial Heights, Virginia, uh, based on the 247 Sports Composite, comes out right at 506 nationally, so right around that top 500 um, sort of metric that we like to use a lot. Um, like you mentioned, was a 2021 guy, but reclassified to the 2022 class. In terms of his physical makeup, uh, just a massive, massive prospect listed officially as 6'7", 338. Um, if you look at some of his highlights, some of the things that his um, high school has presented, they've even listed him as, as 6'8", um, 348, so even bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Um, just a massive, massive lineman, really you know, shows off um, his physicality and just the, the sheer fact that he's bigger uh, than a lot of the kids that he's playing on his film. Um, he's, he's still learning how to use that to some extent and, and learning how to you know, use his body, learn sort of the intricacies of technique. Uh, but like a lot of people in, in football and college football love to say, you can't teach size. That, that's one of the biggest things here for him. Um, if there's any concern that they, that um, evaluators and staffs have had prior, it would be with the weight. Uh, was at one point close to the 400 weight, had some bad weight gain. Uh, throughout 2020 sort of due to the pandemic due to not being able to practice and prep as much as he would in any normal year but uh, that weight has gone down uh, to a more um, I guess manageable area you would say Cargill sort of re-engaged with him at that point and we see today uh, the fruits of that recruitment as he does commit to the heels yeah, uh, you, you mentioned the biggest thing when it comes to him and the talking point that I think is going to be around him uh, going forward until he gets on campus and even after his time once he gets on campus, which is, you know, weight was a problem for him at one point. This was a guy that at one point in his career at the high school level was a 6'8", 404-pound offensive guard. Um, he put in a ton of work this offseason. Uh, I believe, as you mentioned, that was actually, believe it or not, earlier in 2020. And he, you know, went through everything that he needed to in the offseason, got down to 368 was what he was listed on in his huddle film, which was put out um, shortly after their season concluded, which was a a shortened season. They were one of the very few teams in the state of Virginia that was able to play this year. And that was because they went on the road, played a lot of -of out-of-state schools. um, And, you know, he was able to drop down to 368 and now is actually listed at 338, according to 24-7 Sports. Uh, Brian Doan, who works for 24-7 Sports, one of their best guys there, he actually did an interview with him where he said he was 331. That was put on the website uh, and then maybe adjusted a little bit when they found out a little bit more information. But either way, this is a guy that has lost at near 70 pounds uh, in pretty much under a year. Uh, so this is a guy that realized that you know his recruitment was probably in a little bit of trouble. Uh, I, I think that was part of the reason that he did reclassify to the 2022 class was to get you know his size under control, everything like that. And you really got to hand it to him. He did a fantastic job. He he 
was grinding uh, this entire offseason. One of the guys that probably worked the hardest in the nation without really being noticed. Um, and yeah, I think the Tar Heels staff definitely took notice uh, at, at the fact that he was working hard to get himself in shape. Um, yeah, you know, when you turn on the film for him, uh, the, you know, there's going to be some things that are probably going to be different the next time that we see him because, you know, look, he's at 338 right now, could potentially lose more weight. We don't really know. We don't know if that's the goal that he was trying to reach, if there's maybe another goal that he's trying to get down to, whatever. Maybe the Tar Heel staff and Stacey Searles trying to get him down to a certain number. But this is a guy that probably is going to look a little more athletic when we see him the next time. But still, for his size, you know, I, I turned on his film. I was kind of surprised. For a guy that was as big as he was, he could definitely move a lot better than a lot of people at that size would probably be able to. Um, but the biggest thing, like you mentioned, is that he plays with as bi- as good of a physical edge as you're going to see. Uh, it makes sense because he was a guy that pretty much had to win with the size. But it's also, you know, sometimes very easy where if you're a bigger guy, typically, you know, bigger than the opponent that you're going to see on the other side, you really don't have to be overly physical. You don't have to use the hands as much. You really just use your size to drive guys to the ground. That's not what he does. He has very physical hands. Um, he's a guy that can get ahead of steam, run a guy over in the open field. He likes to get to the second level. Um, so he's not just a guy that's going to do the basics just to help you all help you on the offensive line. That's what makes him such an intriguing prospect. And, you know, I think that a lot of people are a little bit skeptical of why Carolina was taking him on. I, I saw some of the people questioning that. I think one of the big things to remember is, one, with Travion, there's a lot of upside here. This is a guy that you just don't really know a whole lot about because he's going to look completely different this when we see him again. Um, this is also a guy that is projecting to play inside. Do not read into the fact that it says he's an offensive tackle. Everything that you see from him on film is an offensive guard. So unless something is going to change between now and then, he is probably going to be an, an offensive guard at the next level, which is something that Carolina could definitely use. Um And, you know, the other thing that I think people have to remember about this class is when you look at the 2022 class, this is going to be a class where offensive linemen are going to be hugely important. You are scheduled to lose Jordan Tucker, uh, Marcus McKeithen, and Brian Anderson all to graduation unless something was to change. Of course, they can take the extra year of eligibility that will be granted to them for this year if they were to want to, but you'll have to wait and see. You really don't know how many guys are actually going to take that. To be honest with you, that process is also going to be very weird. I don't know if that's something they have to decide this offseason, if that's something they can choose to decide at the end of their careers next year. Whatever it is, we'll have to just wait and see. But as of right now, that is the expectation that you could be losing those guys. So this is a you know a class where you're going to have to have two, three, maybe even four offensive linemen to be able to fill some of these roles that are going to be left behind by a a group that uh, is going to be pretty large that is going to depart. Um, You know, I I think with Green, the other big thing that this does is, you know, for Carolina, this just continues to show that there is a focus on trying to get their offensive line and their defensive line, but mainly in this case, their offensive line to the level that they need to, to be able to get, you know, in the same area that Clemson and, you know, some of these other major contenders are. That's the team that everybody's looking at to try to compete with. But I think, Zach, you can talk to this a little bit. Uh, You know, we saw some of the guys that, you know, were playing in the college football playoff. One of the guys that I think stuck out to everybody on social media uh, was the size of Alex Leatherwood from uh, Alabama. Uh, You're a guy that follows Alabama pretty closely. Is this the type of guy that, you know, you think Carolina is going to have to recruit? A guy that's already got this size coming in if they want to be able to compete with those types of teams and potentially make the playoff later on down the line? I think so, yeah. I think uh, moving forward, and it's been mentioned not only in the recruiting aspect, but the team aspect, that offensive line uh, is, is to some extent underrated, in my opinion, and it's it's a really, really big part. You mentioned um, Alex Leatherwood is one playoff offensive lineman, but you look at the other playoff game uh, between Ohio State and Clemson, uh, you look at what Ohio State on the defensive side of the ball was able to do 
to Clemson's offensive line. Really, you know, put pressure on a guy like Trevor Lawrence, well-regarded, you know, high-quality quarterback, was able to put pressure and make him ineffective. So to play at that high level where you're going to have these, you know, really, really aggressive, strong, elite defensive lines, which, of course, North Carolina wants to build one of those as well. But your offensive line, your ability to protect your quarterback in a sport and in a league that is increasingly uh, pass-oriented is paramount. So, yeah, I think they are going to have to get guys like this, guys that have the size, the ability to play physical um, and be able to um, but still move at the same point um, despite that size. So, you know, great addition here, I think. And it, it's just another piece to try to build a really, really great offensive line um, to allow the skill position that North Carolina is bringing in, whether it be quarterback or running back, to really you know make things a whole lot easier for those guys. Well, one of the other guys that Carolina landed in this class, and we didn't really talk uh, officially about him committing because I feel like it was it was you know pretty obvious that he was going to end up committing. Um, unfortunately, you know everybody that's been listening to the podcast recently knows uh, that I came down with COVID and everything like that, so it kind of got pushed to the back burner just a little bit. But Tayon Holloway did end up committing to Carolina back on Christmas Day. It wasn't really much of a shocker, um, and this was pretty much what started a push in the defensive backfield for Carolina on the recruiting trail. We have seen just a a ton of attention has been given there by Dre Bly, but I think Holloway was the one that started it, and it it was a big addition for Carolina on the outside. A guy that can be a lockdown corner on the outside, handles himself very well in one-on-one coverage, and you know I think this is the start of what could end up being a pretty sizable defensive backfield class uh, in terms of you know, it's the talent that's going to be coming in as well as the numbers potentially. But, uh, you know, when you saw that Tayon Holloway committed, I'm assuming it wasn't much of a shock, but uh, I I feel like this was something that uh, was probably, uh, you know, a little bit of an, it it eased, uh, you know, any concern uh, that Carolina was going to be able to get off to a good start in the state of Virginia. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, similar to the first commit that we mentioned in Tyshawn Chapman, um, this was a guy that North Carolina had a, a pretty good feel on early on, which then led to this commitment. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, is the first member of what could very well be a very large call um, in the defensive backfield. I think when you look at sort of the depth chart as it stands now, you see a lot of young guys on there, certainly, that are playing early. Um, and often in circumstances like that, where you have a lot of guys around the same year that are getting early playing time, um, their potential for transfers, their potential for, well, you'll get to a certain point where those guys are juniors and seniors and can leave all at the same time. So you do have to continue to build that debt and you know continue to infuse talent into this roster. Uh, but definitely quite a number of guys there on the defensive backfield board, if you will, um, that can really be high-quality additions. Um, just to mention a few names, um, Jaden Lucas, five-star cornerback out of South Carolina battling uh, Clemson there, um, also battling Clemson for a former Tidewater cornerback in Dalen Everett, who has since transferred to IMG, and then sort of moving from the quarterback room to the safety room briefly. Uh, really two main guys that I'm looking at at this point, uh, Sherrod Koval, another Virginia guy, uh, North Carolina, obviously very big in that uh, recruitment, and then a Georgia safety by the name of Jake Pope. Um, kind of blowing up in his recruitment now as well. So definitely good that North Carolina has already built some relationships there. But that's just a few names to get in briefly in terms of that defensive backfield. Like you mentioned, certainly a position grouping that North Carolina looks to factor very heavily in in the 2022 class. And I, I, you know, leading into it, that was kind of where I was wanting to get to was to talk a little bit about some of the guys that they've uh, they, they've started recruiting a little bit more heavily. Jaden Lucas was a guy that you know Carolina had offered. Um, this is normally you know a guy that probably in past years you offer him because he's as highly rated as he is, and then more than likely you would just go ahead focus on your your main guys and that's it. But the way that Carolina is recruiting right now, you know, went into the of Virginia got Tony Grimes, who at a time was ranked inside the top 10 in the 2021 class. Of course, reclassified to the 2020 class. 
move down some boards there, which again, I don't know exactly everything that goes into that, but this is a guy that's sort of in that same range as where as to where Grimes was. And he definitely saw the success that Tony Grimes had. This is going to be an extremely tough one for Carolina to pull out because this is right in the heart of the area that Clemson is going to be recruiting. Clemson does a really great job of keeping guys in state. Um, you know, I, I remember it was either this past year or back in the 2020 class. There was a point where they did not have any in-state commits, and they pretty much didn't have any in-state commits because they knew the minute that they wanted to, they could land guys like it was nothing. When they offer guys in the state of South Carolina, it has an effect. So, uh, you know, the good news is, is that he has already been offered by Clemson. He's not a guy that wanted to commit right away. He wanted to go through, take a little bit of time. And I think Dre Bly can definitely have an effect in this one. He's the lead recruiter here, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what type of push he can make against both Clemson. Ohio State's also in there as well. Uh, and there's you know a lot of people uh, that think that Ohio State is pretty much turned into DBU right now. Uh, there's you know reports you know around the country that potentially uh, Elias Ricks, who had a fantastic freshman year at LSU, you could potentially enter the transfer portal after pretty much being one of the best defensive backs in the entire country as a true freshman this past year, enter the transfer portal and go to Ohio State. So that's another school that's going to be a factor here. They've got their work cut out for them, but just to hear Carolina's name in this recruitment, I think is huge. And then, you know, you talked about Dalen Everett, Uh, you know, Carolina landed in his top 12. Uh, guy that again comes from the state of Virginia. He was at Norview High School there when they he found out that they were pretty much not going to play in the fall. Uh, I think he you know decided why not let's just go down to the state of Florida. He had an offer I guess to play uh, at IMG Academy. Went there and I remember watching him early in the season and uh, he immediately came in there and started. He's definitely got the talent. Can play man to man coverage. Uh, he he's a guy that I think could be really intriguing. For for the scheme that Carolina runs, but uh, you know, you just have to wonder how serious of a contender is Carolina at this point. He's not quite as vocal as some of the other recruits on the trail. He stays a little bit more silent, so it's hard to get a great read on him. Uh, but this is a guy that at IMG Academy, you are going to constantly see recruiters from all over. Now, granted, they're not allowed on campus this year with everything that's going on, but this is a school nationally that's pretty much as well tied to universities as any out there. So it'll be really interesting to see what Carolina does here. Um, I think, you know, Holloway at the time, people were looking and saying, wow, Carolina's got a big name here. This is probably their headliner in the defensive backfield for this class. And Dre Bly said, look, not so fast. We've got a couple other guys that we're still working on here. So it'll be interesting to see both of those guys that we just talked about are inside of the composite top 100. So these are big time players. So we'll see what Carolina is able to do there. Last thing we'll touch on here in the opening drive before we turn to the true false. A little bit of transfer news. I, I guess at this point, we're going to have to work this into the recruiting stuff. We may even have to have a separate show where we do just transfer portal stuff because the transfer portal is almost becoming its own entity in the offseason. It's pretty much just like free agency. It's become crazy. Carolina dipped their toe in uh, a couple of weeks ago. They get Ty Chandler. He commits as a transfer from Tennessee. Now, there are some people that are probably concerned. Was Ty Chandler involved with everything that's currently going on at Tennessee? As of right now, the belief from a lot of people is that it's a no. He arrived there before Jeremy Pruitt took over as head coach. He was recruited by the prior staff under Butch Jones. So there is no real concern, it doesn't seem, on the surface. Again, that is not going off of any insider information or anything like that. We truly have no idea, but it doesn't seem like that's really a concern. On the field, this is a pretty big get for the Tar Heels because there is you know, going to be a bit of a drop-off in the backfield regardless of if they got Chandler or not with the fact that you're losing Michael Carter, you're losing Javante Williams, 
arguably the best running back tandem in program history. Getting a veteran like Ty Chandler, who has played in the very physical SEC, he's a guy that you know has really good speed, great vision in the open field. There's a lot of things to like about him. So, you know, Zach, I know you being an, an SEC guy, you're a guy that definitely keeps an eye on uh, the SEC and tries to keep yourself in the loop with everything that's going on there. What did you think about the Tar Heels landing Ty Chandler, a guy that you know made a pretty decent name for him himself at his time at Tennessee in the conference. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at Tennessee, just to speak briefly on them as a program over the past few years, as he's been a running back, um, over the past few years, they've had a little bit of a talent deficiency in terms of that offensive line. So if you look at the raw numbers, he's never had an 1,000-yard rushing season. Um, that might be um, you know, a, a hesitation to some people, but he's a very good running back, very solid, very fundamentally sound. Uh, even a good uh, receiver with his hands, with the uh, football in his hands, uh, so to speak. Um, so I think he's definitely a high-quality prospect. Um, certainly, it's going to be hard to replicate what Michael Carter and Javante Williams did this past year, um, but it, it's hard to go wrong when you have a guy that has a ton of Power 5 starting experience in a, in a football league that is very physical in the SEC, you know, regularly playing defenses that produce NFL draft picks like Florida, like Georgia, like Alabama, Auburn, LSU, teams along those lines. So he's definitely played good defenses. Uh, might see a little bit uh, of an easier road of it week to week in the ACC to some extent. Um comparing schools like um, Duke or NC State, Boston College, things uh, schools along those lines as compared to maybe some of those SEC schools. But um, like I said, I think it's a good prospect. It's a good sort of um, stopgap between Michael Carter and Javante Williams and some of the younger guys. I probably would expect him to share carries with, with one or two of those younger guys that are sort of stepping into that role. But uh, it, it's hard to ask for really a better option in the transfer portal for a guy that just has that experience and, and is going to be, you know, a very, very easy fit into this Targill offense. Yeah, I think he fits exactly what the Tarios are looking for. A guy that can help the transition along, make it a little bit easier on some of the younger guys. I think you're 100% right. He is going to probably split time with, uh, I would, if, if I had to guess, and again, this is, you know, just a guess right now. You'll have to wait and see. Probably DJ Jones looks like the best option there. Uh, Elijah Green's another guy that'll be a factor as well. You know, Josh Henderson's still going to get his name in there, as well as British Brooks. Um, but this is, a guy that's definitely going to help you gets you know a little bit of time to find out who that guy is. If he was to have to sort of shoulder the load early on in the season, he probably could. I think you know we know um, you know Carolina's offense is going to be you know still a really really productive offense because you're going to bring back Sam Howell. You've got some receivers that even though they haven't played as much as the guys that departed in front of them, Deami Brown, Daz Newsom. They're still good, you know. They played a little bit. They still have the experience. They still have shown that they can be productive. So this probably will be a little bit more of a pass-oriented offense. But this is a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield, as you mentioned, and he makes things happen in the open space. He has some pretty good speed uh, for you know a, a running back uh, that didn't see you know a ton of carries uh, you know as it got later on in his career at Tennessee. But I think the other thing that you got to look at when you talk about those numbers with him is he split time with guys that. Tennessee just really liked. John Kelly was the guy that was there when he first came in uh, as a true freshman. He actually took carries away from him. Kelly was a guy that at the time, uh, when he came in initially, um, or when Chandler came in initially, that is, uh, Kelly was a guy that was seen as one of the better running backs in the SEC. There were a lot of people that thought he could end up being uh, a really, really good running back, could help that offense really become something. That didn't really pan out, but... Uh, they, they were still very high on him. And so for him to take carries away was big. And then as he got towards the end of his career, you had Eric Gray, who came in this past year as a true freshman, took away some carries from him. Uh, you know, that it was just, you know, one of those guys that, uh, yeah, as we heard from Austin Burlidge of Power T Tape, was a guy that the staff just really loved. Ty 
did pretty much everything that he could, but they really just loved Gray. They thought that he was just a guy that fit their offense better, had a bigger upside, everything like that. So that was the main reason that Kerry's got taken away from him. It feels like this will be a better situation for him. He's going to be reunited with Robert Gillespie, who recruited him to Tennessee. So it feels like this is something that could help you know, generate a little bit more buzz around him for the NFL draft if he's able to come out and have a good year. And I think that's what he's going to try to do. So I think this is a really good fit for both sides and could be very productive. So let's head over to our true false portion of uh, the podcast. We're going to have a couple of things that we'll throw out there. I'll ask Zach first, then I'll give my opinion on as to whether or not it is true or false. Of course, we'd love to hear your opinions on that as well in the comment section if you want to leave that for us. Um, and first, Zach, uh, he, the first one that I have is of the 12 early enrollees that just signed uh, a little over two uh, or a little over a week ago now, uh, they were just brought onto campus. At least one will be a starter at the beginning of 2021. Do you think that's true or false? I think that that is more likely than not false. And let me explain why. I think if you look through uh, the roster as it stands right now and compare it to the guys that you're bringing in as early enrollees, a lot of these positions already have either established starters or sort of upperclassmen that can take that role. I mean, just to go down the list, quarterback is obviously handled with Sam Howell, so Drake May is unlikely to start. Um, offensive line returns all its starters, so that cuts out Diego Pounds. Um, and then running back obviously just brought in Ty Shanlin has some other guys there, so you have Caleb Hood. Um, moving forward from there, I mean, you look at three wide receivers that were brought in. There would be some, you know, reps there that could be distributed with Deami Brown and Daz Newsom moving on. But we do see some guys sort of there on the roster already. Josh Downs, Emory Simmons, Choffrey Brown that are more likely to take a lot of those reps alongside Bo Corrales and uh, Antoine Green. So probably not a starter there at wide receiver. And that end, um, not a tight end um, signing that enrolled early. So, unfortunately, Bryson Nesbitt, more likely than not, would not be that guy. Um, linebacker could be interesting, uh, seeing what Power Eccles and Ra Ra Dilworth do there. Mm-hmm. Of course, you have Jeremiah Gimmel sort of slotted in there. We did see a lot from uh, Eugene Asante in the bowl game. Um, that might be a position of interest with the defensive backfield um, having DeAndre Boykins and Dontavious Nash. You never know. Maybe in you know the nickel package, dime package. Maybe one of those guys could get in there. I probably would project that. Um, and then moving on to the last position, this is probably the one that I would be the most. If I had to bet on one of the positions, I think it might be the defensive line, uh, hmm. just because of how high I am on the two early enrollees in Javari Ritzy and Keyshawn Silver. Um, I think if you were to consider, you know, it is a 3-4 front. Generally, they play a lot of two down linemen and then the two outside linebackers. But if you want to consider, um, you know, the three defensive linemen in that, obviously you have Ray Vohasek and Tamari Fox there. Maybe your third one could be Keyshawn Silver. Maybe it could be Javari Ritzy um, overtaking what's generally been Jaleel Taylor's spot there. So, I'm not going to project it. I'd say false here, um, but I do think, you know, defensive line could definitely be a position to watch. And if it's going to be anywhere, my projection would be there. Okay, that's that's definitely interesting. I am going to take a risk here. I'm going to say true. I think that if I'm looking at an area, I I think – you know, for you, that's really interesting that you say defensive line. I, I, to me, I feel like offensive and defensive line. That's probably the toughest position to come in and make an immediate impact because it, the physicality is just different. I think that is definitely the position that is most different. Those in the trenches, but most different from the high school level because you're dealing with guys that have been in you know college weight rooms. They've been in college nutrition programs for years and you're coming in and having to potentially start. We saw this year, Carolina brought in a lot of really talented guys on the defensive line. Des Evans, Miles Murphy. None of those guys were able to 
even crack the starting rotation as the year went along. You had Dev Dez Evans got a couple of starts there, but again, he was that outside linebacker. It took him a little bit of time. And even in those games that he did start, he didn't play as much as you would expect some of the other big-time starters in the nation to play. So I find that interesting. I think that, you know, Keyshawn Silver, it's, it, that, that's probably the toughest one for me to gauge, to be honest with you, when I was writing the article about, uh, you know, who would have the biggest impact early. Uh, I found him to be the toughest one to judge because his talent level would tell you that he'll play right away. Um, but I do think it is going to take him a little bit of time to sort of get used to the physicality, get his body in the shape that he needs to. And, I, you know, I think probably he'll have an effect at some point this year. But I would look at that defensive backfield. I think that we, I just don't know if it was addressed enough. Um, you know, by a lot of the other people just yet. We'll start to get to it, you know, as we go throughout the offseason and really uh, once we get into spring ball. I think the safety position on this Tariel football team is, you know, both of those spots are kind of up for grabs in the offseason. If I was on the coaching staff, um, I think that, you know, you saw some good things from Trey Morrison, you saw some good things from Don Chapman, but these guys struggled helping you in the run defense. They had their moments where they had lapses in the middle of the field. They had some coverage issues. I feel like if you're looking at one of the two guys, I think Dontavious Nash is probably the guy that you would look to because you would think he could slide in to one of those two safety spots. But I think that DeAndre Boykins is really, really interesting here because I'm starting to, the more I think about it, Fall, you know, start to believe a little bit and fall in love with the, the the thought that you could put him in the nickel because I've seen his film. I think he is a perfect fit for the nickel spot. He can cover in space. He can tackle. He's very physical. I think he can handle it and move Jaquarius Conley back to safety. And another thing that's really interesting is you got to remember how quickly Jaquarius Conley was able to come in and establish a significant role for this Tar Heel football team this season. He was a starter in the second game of the season. Now, part of that was because, of course, the Tar Heels lost Miles Woolfolk. They had to move Trey Morrison back to safety, opening up the door. But with an entire offseason, one that's going to be probably a lot more normal. You would expect that as of right now, they're going to have at least some sort of spring ball. Maybe they don't play the spring game. Maybe they don't have as many scrimmages, but they will probably have a little bit more normal of an offseason. I think that opens the door for him to have success. And linebacker, like you said, I think is also interesting. I feel like, you know, if you're Rod Rod Dilworth, if you're Power Eccles, you saw what a Eugene Asante did in the bowl game. If you were thinking that you were going to come in and start, that might have you know put a little bit of a damper on your thoughts. But I still think that both of those guys are going to come in. They're going to have a chance to be productive, especially Ra Ra Dilworth, the guy that I think fits this defense really, really well. Um, you know, as athletic as Eugene Asante is, I feel like Dilworth is more athletic. He's a guy that is a, a, a better cover guy. I think you know Asante is a good cover guy. Um, I think that. Dilworth's a guy that if you needed him to play safety in a pinch, probably has the coverage skill set to play safety. And that's what you're looking for in this Jay Bateman defense. So keep an eye on him uh, going forward. And then Caleb Hood, I think, is also interesting. But with, you know, Ty Chandler, some of the other options in place, we'll see, you know, just how much of an impact he is able to have out of the game. How about this one, Zach? This is a guy that we talked about a little bit back in the 2021 class. Uh, you know, a guy that now is newly back on the market. Do you think the Tar Heels will pursue uh, newly decommitted 2021 offensive tackle Colby Smith? you think that statement is true or false? I think that is true. Now, to what extent, I can't say uh, how, first off, how... I guess heavily they would pursue him um, and also what his interest would be. Obviously was very interested in the Tar Heels early on, um, but you know, with all that's been going on with um, Tennessee, um, you've seen a lot of transfers. You've seen guys decommit. Luckily he did not sign in December. So still kind of on the open market has decommitted. If you know they were to push that forward, were to seek to get him back on, I think that they could. Um, I think that they most likely have the scholarships available 
Um, it might make it a little bit easier. You might not have to take as many guys in 2022. You're able to bring another lineman in the 2021 class. Um, if you don't feel great about the guys that you have on your radar in 2022. Um, but I, I think that the Tarvels have a good deal of options there in terms of what they can do. Uh, but I do believe that they will at least, you know, see the interest there, gauge the interest, and then make a decision. So I, I'd say true. I say they recruit it. I'm going to go with false, but I do think that there is a factor that plays into this a little bit, which is where does Carolina feel that they are at with one of their biggest targets at the offensive tackle position in the 22 class, Zach Rice. If they feel like they're in a good enough spot with him, you would probably lean no here because I feel like when you look at the 21 class, Smith's spot has been filled. That was pretty much once Smith showed that he wasn't interested. A couple other guys also uh, went elsewhere. That was when Carolina opened the door for Diego Pounds. They brought him in. And, of course, as we know, he's now an early enrollee. You still have Eli Sutton, of course, who will join the team in the summer. Um, so I, I think that Carolina is probably full in the offensive line class for this year. Another thing that sort of signifies that is the fact that when they landed Diego Pounds, they have pretty much immediately backed off Yusuf uh, McCarble, uh, who, of course, uh, ended up going to Florida. So... I think that's you know something that you have to look at. Uh, I think that you know if Carolina feels like they're in a good spot with Rice, they probably won't pursue. But if for some reason they feel like Rice is leaning towards Ohio State, leaning towards possibly Clemson, if he can get the offer, uh, you never really know. But I think as of right now, I would have to say false. Uh, here's our next one. Tar Heels are a serious contender for 2022 quarterback Cade Klubnik out of the state of Texas. you think that's true or false, Zach? I think it depends on what you consider a major contender. Uh, for my metric, I'd probably have to say, unfortunately, false just because um, there are quite a number of um, suitors in his recruitment. Obviously, um, you have that connection there with Phil Longo. I, I think that he does like Phil Longo and has that interest, uh, but you do have a lot of difficulty um, recruiting that far away. Uh, locally, uh, with uh, Cade, obviously, has that offer from the University of Texas now with new head coach Steve Sarkeesian. Um, I know that there is at least some early interest there just because of what Steve Sarkeesian was able to do this past year with Matt Jones and that Alabama offense um, as the you know new head coach there is sort of selling some new interest there that might not have been there under Tom Herman. Texas A&M obviously had a big year uh, this past year. They recently offered, and I know that they're a big factor as well. And then uh, really a third school that I'd be looking out for, uh, an offer that he covets and is still waiting on, um, is Clemson. Uh, locally enough um, as, as a offer that he would really like to have. So when you have those big time schools in there, when you have sort of those high quality recruiters that you're going up against with it being not just an out of state recruitment, but a recruitment that is fairly far away um, as compared to some of the other closer states that North Carolina likes to recruit more often, I'd have to unfortunately go with faults here, at least at this time. Now, if we get new information, we can move forward from there. But that's just where I'm at as of right now. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I, I think it's false, but I do think that it's interesting that Carolina is even a player in this at all. Uh, this, you know, I, I, again, when Mac Brown and his staff initially came in, of course, they uh, got a commitment from Malik Hornsby. That was backed off of uh, almost immediately. That was pretty much less than a one-month commitment. Of course, they got Jacoby Criswell, who they, you know, thought fit their offense a little bit better. Uh, but at the same time, that, like you mentioned, it's going to be really tough going into the state of Texas normally to get recruits because you've got heavy hitters like Texas, even though we know that Texas is, you know, one of the consistent running jokes in college football. Are they back? Are they not? They're still a team that recruits extremely well. With Sarkeesian coming in there, this offseason is going to have a lot of hype around it because of how much success he had at Alabama. Um, and if he can have more success there in the near future, you would expect that they will probably be one of the best recruiting teams in college football once again. Texas A&M is still there. Uh, even in recent years, now again, it's probably going to take them a little bit of 
time to build back up, similar to potentially what we're going to see at Texas. Baylor was a team that recruited really, really well for a few years. Of course, with Matt Rule going to the NFL, they've had another head coaching change, so Dave Aranda had to come in. They, you know, they're not recruiting quite at the same level just yet, but it's going to be tough year in and year out to go there, especially during COVID times. This is a guy in Klubnik that, as of as of my knowledge, he has not visited Carolina. So that's going to be a wait and see. Uh, will he be able to get on campus? More than likely, if he is seriously considering Carolina, he will probably take his own visit to campus um, and, and you know get a feel for what. Carolina offers. Um, but yeah, I would agree with you right now. I, I would have to say false uh, because of some of those teams in state. Uh, Auburn, another team that's a really big player for him. You mentioned Clemson, extremely coveted offer. And why wouldn't it be? Uh, so I think, yeah, that's that's probably what he's looking for right now. But I think Carolina is one of those outsiders that if you know Sam Howell was to come in, have a really, really big year this year, yet again, potentially you know be in the Heisman Hunt, maybe even make it to New York or the virtual ceremony if they have to do that again. Maybe even somehow take home the award. That would really, really open some eyes and could change uh, you know, some of the thinking around Carolina when it comes to some of these big-time quarterbacks throughout the country that aren't in the local area. But I think right now, you look at all those factors. Also, another factor that you look at is the fact that Tad Hudson in the 2023 class from in-state at Huff High School, guy that it right now looks like he's probably going to be a high-end four, possibly a five-star, is also really well-connected to the university right now, really well-connected to Phil Longo, likes his offense, everything like that. I think you'd have to lean false. Uh uh, you know, second to last one here that we'll go with Tar Heels' most important target in the 2022 class is Travis Shaw, the defensive tackle out of Grimsley High School in Greensboro. Do you think that's a true or false statement, Zach? I think that I might have to go true there. You know, I, I sort of went back and forth in terms of a positional need. I might have to argue that, you know, getting some high quality running backs in the 2022 class is important. Uh, with the young backfield and obviously um, losing the uh, tandem from last year, most likely uh, potentially losing uh, your transfer in Ty Chandler. Uh, I think that you know if there's a position group that's the biggest group, I think it's running back. But just in terms of a single recruit, um, it might have to be Travis Shaw. I, I think if you look at you know the five star prospects within the state of North Carolina or within that range, within the top 50. Uh, when Clemson has really wanted a guy within the state of North Carolina, more often than not, they've been able to get him. I mean, you can go down the list. Tar Heel fans are uh, painfully um, you know, re- reminiscent of this. I mean, you look at your Dexter Lawrence's in the past few years. You look at Trenton Simpson. You look at Will Shipley, guys along those lines. If Clemson wants someone in North Carolina that's within that top 55-star range, more, more often than not, they'll usually get him. And Travis Shaw fits that description. Um, very, very elite defensive lineman, currently rated number seven in the country in the 2022 class, um, but has a lot of respect for North Carolina as well. So uh, when you have these opportunities to potentially go head-to-head with Clemson and win one of those battles, um, it may not seem like it really means that much, but... Um, it would, at least for people that follow recruitment such as this, it would be a big, almost watershed moment. Um, not not only, you know, sort of solidifying that North Carolina, North Carolina, excuse me, as we know, is a heavy hitter uh, in the recruiting battles, but that they, they can go up against Clemson and, and win these battles head to head. I think that would be big. I think that would be big for uh, perception. So, yeah, I, I think I'd have to go true here, at least at this time. I'm going to agree with you. Uh, I think that there is a case to be made for a guy like Zach Rice in this class. That's a position of need. Uh, that would also be a really big statement if Carolina could get the job done against Ohio State. But I think it's what you talked about, which is the difference for me, which is the fact that when Clemson has wanted to come in here and beat North Carolina for a prospect, they've gotten the job done. In the past under Larry Fedora, it was understandable. When Dexter Lawrence went there, most people were like, okay, this makes a little bit of sense why he's going to make this move. 
And, you know, ultimately, as we saw in the years following that, it did make a ton of sense why he ended up making that move. This past year, I feel like, you know, again, I think Peyton Page is a little bit of a different story. Um, you know, that that was a guy that, you know, Carolina kind of backed off of. Clemson was on him for a very long time. Still stuck with them, brought him in. Carolina backed off him because of the concerns about the weight uh, and and you know a couple other concerns. I think that uh, you know maybe aren't as voiced as as much as uh, you know the weight concerns were. But I, you know this feels like one of those chances where if you're going to continue to build that fence around North Carolina, because I mean, look, you've already built a pretty good fence right now. It's, it's looking really good, but you want to add those finishing touches. You want to add the lock to the outside of the fence that keeps everybody else out. This would be that statement. If you could land a guy that as of right now, and again, you know, recruiting rankings can shift. This is a guy that is ranked as the seventh rated player in the 24-7 composite sports rankings. This is a program changing type player. If he comes in on your defensive line, which is an area that you, you know, we've still talked about it. You need to improve if you're going to be able to compete on the level that you want to, to be able to potentially go to the ACC championship game and not only compete with Clemson, but to potentially beat them, make a run at a college football playoff. This is the type of guy that you need to land. So I agree with you. I think he's the most important target in this class. Um, you know, As we go along, some of the other needs may become a, a little bit more dire and that might adjust this. But yeah, I think as we sit here right now, the defensive line is still a position of need. This is one of the best prospects in the country if Carolina could find a way to pull this out, and it, I'm going to tell you this, right now where they sit, this feels like a recruitment where Carolina is in a much better spot than they were with a lot of the other guys that Zach mentioned. This is one that would be huge and would make him the most important target right now in this class. Final one that we'll do, and then we'll turn to the 40-yard dash. The Tar Heels will land another transfer to join Ty Chandler this offseason. Do you think they go into the transfer portal another time this offseason? I think I'd have to go through there. If you remember back to, I believe it was the press conference that Matt Brown had after National Signing Day, after the bowl game, obviously mentioned uh, uh, seniors and additional guys that were returning for either a fifth year or for their senior year. You know, mentioned the guys that were leaving, the uh, early entrance from the juniors, but mentioned, you know, that they were going to have potentially some guys that would transfer, but also that they had interest in the transfer portal, but they were evaluating guys to see um, if there are guys that they would bring in, and they do have spots right now. Um, so they, they do have a, a couple spots that they could play with, see sort of where do we want to add some depth? Is there someone that can be an immediate impact guy? Um, so I don't know if there are any specific names on there as of right now. Obviously, within the past few days, we've seen some of the fallout of the uh, Tennessee program. Whether any of those guys would be of potential interest, I'm unsure on that. The answer seems to be no, outside of Ty Chandler, of course, that was from uh, the prior staff before Jeremy Pruitt and his staff uh, were there. Is there a specific position? Uh, we can sort of go into that. Maybe they add another safety or something along those lines. Maybe they look for someone with experience at the tight end position to match up with Garrett Wilson. Or maybe they, you know, look at another, potentially they could look at another running back to sort of create, you know, that um, the same, or not the same, but a similar duo to what they had last year at another guy with Ty Chandler. It's a possibility. Um, I, I think that when you look at the Tiger roster as a whole, they do have those few spots, but if you look at where um, most of the talent is, at least in consideration, because this is still on paper, it's with those younger classes. It's with your uh, incoming freshman, the past year's uh, freshman as well, which would be um, either redshirt freshman or sophomores in our consideration, or, or you know, this past year's sophomores. That's kind of where you're seeing your talent right now. So maybe they just ride with the roster they have. Maybe they go get someone experienced. I don't really know. It's hard to say as of right now. If I had to you know, put a statement out there, I think they get at least one more guy in the transfer portal. Yeah, I'm going to go true too. And I think it's mainly because we've seen the 
type of talent that has entered the transfer portal so far, there probably will eventually be another name that will be enticing enough to this staff to go out and try to add to this team. Don't know if that's going to be someone that can come in and contribute immediately. Maybe it's a guy that they feel fits into the rotation and could grow into a really good player uh, on this roster. Maybe it's a guy that Carolina recruited at one time. But I think that there is going to be a name that will probably eventually pop up. Uh, yeah, if you were looking at positions, if you're going to try to go about it that way, I agree. I think safety is one of the spots where they could look to try to get a veteran guy. Um, maybe look for someone that fits that mold of an in-the-box safety, uh, a guy that sort of fit what Miles Woolfolk did, uh, maybe could do even what Miles Dorn did, a guy that was a really good cover guy on the back end, but also would come up and help you and run defense. Um, that could be something that they could potentially look for, especially if they feel like they want to try to get the most out of this team that they can in 2021 with the possibility, and at this point, I would say the likelihood that Sam Howell would leave after the 2021 season and pursue an NFL career. Um, and, you know, I, I think tight end is interesting, but if I had to go another position, because they have expressed a little bit of interest here, at least from what was rumored, there uh, nothing was officially confirmed as there really can't be anything confirmed considering this is pretty much similar to recruiting. Um they did have the rumor that at one time they were pursuing Warren Thompson, who was transferring from Florida State at wide receiver. Now, again, that really didn't materialize into anything. Um, we didn't really talk about that here on the podcast in depth. Warren Thompson's a guy that, look, I mean, he came in extremely highly touted prospect at Florida State. Um, guy that could, you know, take the top off of defenses. That's that's pretty much what he does. And Carolina may have been, you know, p possibly interested, wanted to reach out to him because they are losing De'Ami Brown, who was so good at doing that the last couple of years. But there's been, you know, a problem with both of the staffs that have been at Florida State in recent years, had a problem with Willie Taggart's staff when they first arrived, had a problem with Mike Norvell's staff when they first arrived, and actually removed himself from the team later on this year in a separate incident with Mike Norvell's staff um, that, you know, I, I mean, at this point, you just have to wonder if it's really worth it. But I think if there was a good enough wide receiver to enter the transfer portal, Carolina would definitely look there. I know that they probably feel confident in what's being brought to the table. I think Bo Corrales is a guy that's set up for a really big year this year. I think Choffrey Brown, Josh Downs both have a chance to be breakout players. Don't sleep on Emory Simmons either. A couple of the freshmen coming in are extremely talented. But I do think that they might add another guy in there if he is talented enough in their mind and fits their offense enough to make sense there. Um, one guy that I do want to talk about here really quickly before we move on to the 40-yard dash that some people may have saw enter the transfer portal and you thought in your mind maybe Carolina pursues it's, you know, Quavaris Crouch was a huge, huge name back in the 2019 class. This guy was pretty much a do-it-all. He could play linebacker. He could play running back. Um, he was, I mean, led Harding High School to a state title. If you live in the state of North Carolina, you know that's huge. That is... I mean, that school was a team that was historically a two, three win program at the best year in and year out. And even after he's left and, you know, of course, their head coach went with them, Sam Grenier, uh, you know, it, it's sort of, you know, slacked off a little bit here in recent years back to what they're normally used to. They were a little bit better last year, but this guy pretty much put that team on his back and carried them to a state title as a running back and went to you know Tennessee uh, and had a pretty productive career, to be honest with you, early on at linebacker. Some people, I think, thought that might be an option. There is probably going to be a lot of hesitancy around him, uh, considering that he seems like one of the guys that will probably be looked at. He was recruited by Pruitt's staff. Uh, he was an extremely highly touted prospect. Uh, I believe he finished as a high four-star, if I'm remembering that correctly. I'm, I'm going to look it up here as, as we're talking. Um, but he was right on the precipice of being a five-star prospect. This guy, I mean, this was big time. This was one that if Carolina would have somehow been able to pull off, uh, it would have just been a miracle. But um, I, I think that as of right now, Carolina would probably stay away 
knowing that there is more than likely going to be some investigating around him considering how big of a prospect he was. Uh, yeah, he was actually, he, he did finish up as a high-end four-star. Um, so uh, that's one that, you know, again, you can maybe consider it, maybe later on if he stays in the portal for a while. Carolina could jump in on that, but I think that the NCAA might be involved there. It's going to have to run its course, and you'll just have to wait and see. He could be a guy that might have to go down to a lower level, play down there for a little bit before he can end up coming up and playing again. So we'll just have to wait and see on that. So we'll close down tonight with the 40-yard dash. A couple other talking points uh, before we get out of here. As we mentioned earlier, Tar Heels showing a lot more focus in the defensive backfield uh, because they made the top 12 for Dalen Everett. I think that was a really big thing. Thing for Carolina as well, and uh, they have, as we mentioned, really started to push a little bit with Jaden Lucas, so that's really interesting to see uh, that they are starting to focus a little bit on their defensive backfield in the 22 class. Uh, Tariels were left out of 2022 five-star inside linebacker Sean Murphy's top eight. Definitely stings a little bit. He was a guy from the state of Virginia that would have been you know, another really big win for Carolina in that state, but... To be really honest with you, it didn't really feel like Carolina had much of a shot there, really from the beginning. Wasn't a guy that posted a lot about Carolina, uh, was relatively active on social media, seemed to be connected to some other schools a little bit better. So he's out of the focus. I think the main thing that this does for Carolina, the main thing that should be focused on now at that position going forward is going to be an in-state guy in Xavier Simmons, another four-star guy, really talented player. Um, you know, a little, little bit raw from watching his film. Uh, a guy that, you know, just is plays off of instinct, which I think fits very, very well with what Carolina wants to do. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they maybe turn up the heat a little bit with him uh, going forward. Uh, Toriels did land in the top 15 for 2022 four-star defensive end Dante Anderson, though. Uh, again, not really narrowing his list down that much, but Carolina's still alive for him. Uh, he seems pretty receptive on social media to some of the early advances that Carolina has made in his recruitment. Comes from the state of Florida. Um, It's going to be extremely tough for Carolina in the long run anything's really possible. We saw, of course, uh, you know, Carolina went down into the southern part of Florida uh, and was in, you know, in talks with potentially flipping Andres Borregales. There's a lot of stuff that goes into his recruitment besides the fact that, you know, he goes to high school right outside of Homestead, Miami. His brother also played for them this year. So I don't think you should be totally discouraged by the fact that, you know, they, we, you remember that from this past year. Um, but this is a guy that is in the southern part of Florida. He plays at Homestead High School, which is right outside of Miami. So they're going to be the heavy favorites there. Florida will also factor in here. Same thing with Florida State, potentially. So Carolina, uh, you know, to be in there, it's a good sign. They might have a fighting chance. Um, but, you know, uh, it, it's one that we'll have to keep an eye on going forward. And then uh, we'll wrap it up with this. Mali- uh, excuse me, Malachi Hamrick announced that he will be moving up his commitment date. It will now be February 26th. This is going to be pretty much the next big one to mark on your calendar after today. Uh, Travion Green's kind of came out of nowhere. This one will not. This is one that is going to be pretty highly talked about leading up. As of right now, pretty much looks like it's going to be the Tar Heels against Ohio State. Can they pull out? the victory here. Remember that Malachi is a guy that nearly committed to Carolina on the spot when they offered, but Ohio State has made up some decent progress. They have given themselves a fighting chance, and they continue to show that, you know, with them making the national championship, they put some really, really talented defensive linemen in the NFL not only, you know, just throughout the years they, they put them in there, but they have also had guys that have been highly, highly drafted. Uh, I think that's the reason that they've got a fighting chance in that one, and we'll see if Carolina is able to pull out that victory. So make sure you mark that date uh, down on your calendar. So that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Again, want to make sure you guys know, head over to the website, uh, check it out, heeltoughblog.com. Great stuff up there. You got, of course, uh, Trevion. 
Green's commitment article that you guys can make sure you go and read. A little bit more, you know, in depth. We break down a little bit more of his game uh, in that article, so you guys can go ahead and check that out, as well as some other really interesting stuff that we've put up over the past couple of weeks. Uh, there's been an article that went up about, uh, you know, the impacts of the early enrollees. We rank them from 12 to 1, uh, least impactful in our mind to most impactful, just based on a ton of different factors. Talent is is, is uh, you know considered in there. But mainly, it's it's you know an outlook in the position. Uh, you know, as I talked about a little bit earlier, you know the fact that uh, offensive and defensive linemen, you know, it, it takes them a little bit of, of time to adjust the physicality of the game. So we rank them twelve to one. That's a really interesting article that you guys can go back and check out, as well as uh, a couple other articles that are up on the website. Weekly storylines is returning. That'll be our way of keeping you up to date on some of the stuff that's going on in the off season. It'll mostly be focused on some of those smaller stories lines that don't get their own articles. Uh, so that'll be cool to be bring that back so you guys can follow that in the offseason as well. And then of course, uh, we've got basketball coverage on the website. The Tar Heels, uh, again, another pretty solid win last night against Wake Forest uh, after dropping one over the weekend to Florida State. One that I think you know everybody can kind of agree was sort of expected. Still saw some really good things. It feels like this Tar Heel team is maybe settling into a little bit of a groove getting themselves on track. So make sure you keep up with everything Toriel basketball on the website as well. And then, of course, we are going to bring back our light coverage of baseball. It won't be as in-depth as the other two sports, but it will still be there for you guys to check out. Uh, for the podcast, make sure that you guys like and follow the Facebook page. Uh, that will tell you whenever we are putting out a new edition of the podcast. It will tell you that we are premiering a video. You guys can check that out. Again, we're not going to be on camera as much in the offseason as we are in the regular season, uh, but we still will have moments where we will get on camera to be able to talk uh, about uh, you know some of these storylines in the offseason, if there's a fun edition of the podcast that we're throwing together as well, which there will be some of those in the offseason that we're going to do. Uh, we'll also do those on camera, but uh, you'll be able to watch the waveforms, everything like that, if that's the way that you like listening to it, or you can continue to listen to it on any of uh, the major podcast platforms. For those who have stuck with us through them, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to the podcast at, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, any of those, you can do all that stuff there. When you rate and review, it moves us up some of those rankings so that people that haven't found the podcast just yet but are really wanting to be locked in on Tar Heel football can do so. And when you subscribe, every edition of the podcast goes into your podcast feed so that you don't miss any of the great editions that we're going to have coming up in the offseason and you won't miss any of the additions that we have had in the past. Uh, Jones Angel, that's a great interview that you guys can go and listen to. Jones was with us for about 30 minutes. That was fantastic talking to him. Uh, we had Lee Pace on just before him as well. Uh, so there are plenty of guys that you can go back and listen to us talking to. We're going to have some more coming up in the offseason as we go through. And eventually, we're also going to try to get some more former Tar Heels that we didn't have on last offseason. Maybe try to get them on this season as we head into the summer months. So, I want to thank Zach for hosting with me tonight. I want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels!